Welcome to the Michael Myers Minute, where we delve into the 1978 horror classic Halloween one minute at a time. I'm your host, Robert Black. Linda has gone home. Lori has just seen the shape behind a bush. As Minute 25 begins, Annie approaches the bush. Second floor, she reaches the bush, says, hey, creep. But I gotta interrupt. This first bit of audio might have horrible sound, because I am in the car. I haven't left to drive home yet. I just want to get a few thoughts out before I forget some things. I was just at Sugarman Gallery in South Pasadena. It's right behind the Myers house. I got to hang out with some nice folks with great Halloween shirts, at least one with a tattoo, multiple Michael Myers cosplayers. One in particular I talked to. Yes, he spoke, but only in secret. Maybe I shouldn't out him. His name is Lito. You can find him on Instagram at the underscore shape underscore of underscore fear underscore cosplay, I believe is the name. Uh, He was really good, and with him was Ashley as Lori. The pictures will be up, so you'll see them. And Jennifer as uh, Linda. They said Annie couldn't make it. She got stuck in the car, which was pretty good. Sarah Rose, who was in charge, was very nice. They had some free drinks for people in the VIP group that came in early. I, that was, I got there right when they opened. And some food and, big one, I got to meet Kim Gottlieb, set photographer, and talked to her several times and arranged to possibly have her a guest in the future. So that was cool. Good story she had for today. She got the job. She and Dean Cundy were recruited by Deborah Hill after working on a movie. She's not even sure what they called it because it never got released. I'm going to look it up though. See if I can find information on it. Interrupting the interruption to say, apparently from her description, the movie was hanging on a star and may have actually been released at some point because it is on IMDb. Director Mike McFarland, starring Lane Caudell, Deborah Raffin, Wolfman Jack. Yeah, she said Wolfman Jack was in it. So this is it. Let's see. Does she have a credit for it? Yeah, she's listed. Still photographer. Krishna Rao also worked on it. And Ray Stella, and of course I got there from Dean Cundy's IMDb, so they were all there. Anyway, back to the other interruption. But Deborah Hills is the uh, script supervisor, and she remembered Dean and Kim and brought them over for Halloween. And then when they all got union contracts for Escape from New York, Deborah signed contracts with them first. Because then, even though they hadn't worked on a union production enough to be in the union themselves, the union had to honor their previous contracts and let them work, and that got them into the union. So, as Kim put it, if not for, like, she owes Deborah her (laughs) retirement, because her union pension is much better than she would have had otherwise. I bought a few prints. I'll put some pictures up. I got Kim to sign my copy of her book on set with John Carpenter, and it was fun. Uh, They had the movie on out in the front yard, and because of this format I've been doing, like I walk by and it's Lori and Tommy approaching the Myers house. I'm like, hey, minute 13 just ended and there's minute 14. I was identifying where it was by the (laughs) minutes. I found myself stopping and staring at the movie, even though I'd obviously seen it many times and seen pieces of it many, many times lately. That's how it is. It was a nice environment. It was very crowded, a little warm, because, you know, it's still summer in Southern California. But everyone was nice. Got great pictures of people. As you'll see, actually, I may have posted it by the time this goes up. I even got a picture of me, so if you don't already know me some other way online, there I am with Lido and Ashley and Jennifer. All in all, it was a good time. 
And if you are around Southern California and you're listening to this when it goes up, check out the Sugar Mint Gallery. The show is open all week. You can see some of Kim's photos. You can buy some. You can buy prints. They have a few, that, there are four that are much cheaper than the others. They got some paintings. They've got a mold of William Shatner's face. Michael Myers statue by the clotheslines outside. You'll see the pictures. And of course, it's directly behind the Myers house, so it's easy to find if you know where that is. Anyway, I will let you get back to me in minute 25. We'll start with an IMDb goof. When Lori and Annie are walking down the sidewalk and Lori sees Michael standing next to a bush, from Lori's point of view, the bush is trimmed and neat, but when Annie walks up to the bush, it's all bushy with leaves sticking out everywhere. That one is just a trick of camera angles being close, being far, because it's quite literally the same hedge, and the short shooting schedule means they were not weeding around on hedge trimmers and filmed on the same day. But enough about hedges. We have a guest, Alex Thompson of Galaxy Quest Minute and Cleveland in Six. Welcome, Alex. Hello, listeners. Come play with us. <laughs> That's a good level. Creepy. I like it. <laughs> That's a surefire way to make sure my girlfriend will never listen to this. Uh, so I, I feel obliged to point out the latest piece of evidence that I'm a boy in a man's body. It's, I struggled really hard not to laugh when you were talking about the bush being neatly trimmed and so on. Just <laughs> in my head going. It's good to be honest about that. I love the, ne- the next line in the script is nothing happens. <laughs> which is a good way to start a minute. Yeah. And he says, Lori, my dear. He wants to talk to you. He wants to take you out tonight. I must warn you, Alex, because it's your first time. Uh, There are a few IMDb goofs in this minute, and I will deal with them all as they come up. Okay. It's an ongoing battle. Ah. Because second 14, when Annie is at the hedgerow telling Lori that the person who's been following them wants to talk to her, a puff of John Carpenter's cigarette smoke floats into the shot. (laughs) Carpenter himself points this out in the commentary track. Well, it was the 70s, so. Yeah. And yes, it totally happens. Essentially, he was not only smoking while filming, but really close to the camera. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Took a puff right when they were filming. This is one people think Haddonfield was foggy. (laughs) Yeah, my thing on this goof is maybe it's just random smoke. We don't know this town. (laughs) I don't know if it's a, a recording thing or if it's just the timber of Jamie Lee Curtis's voice, but her audio to me in this minute almost sounds like it's recorded somewhere else. Yeah, it was probably looped after. Yeah. Not only did they loop a lot of the dialogue in this movie because they filmed outside and they were on the cheap, she also had a tendency, I think I talk about it in this this minute, in a little bit, Mm -hmm. Uh, she had a tendency to talk with her mouth closed, Ah. which makes her very quiet. Yeah, because Annie here sounds like it's live audio and then her audio sounds sounds very studio. But, uh, But I figured it could also just be because she has a fairly deep husky voice. Yeah. So, but... It's partly her voice, the way she talks, and they looped a lot of their outdoor stuff, mm. especially some shots. This shot, they used the panaglide, but somewhere they use a dolly. They looped a lot of that because they didn't have time to deal with the noise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course. And now, yeah, have you have you guys mentioned the fact that she is the uh, right honorable Lady Hayden guest, Jamie Lee Curtis? No, I actually kept, I just learned that just a couple of days ago, I, so I hadn't added it in my notes yet. But yeah, I just saw that. Yeah, so for the listeners out there who aren't aware, Jamie Lee Curtis is married to and has been now for 34-ish years uh, to Christopher Guest of This Is Spinal Tap and Assorted Other Things fame. 
Christopher Guest in 1996 inherited one of the many baronies of England, and so uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is a baroness, the Right Honorable Lady Hating Guest. A title which she never uses. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a note on the website about her Hollywood star mm-hmm. mentions that she has the title but doesn't use it. Yeah. Well, I think he barely does anything with it either. He said he used to go to the House of Lords yeah. for a little bit and stopped in like 99. <laughs> anyway, I'm derailing your, I'm derailing your podcast already. Go ahead. <laughs> no, that derailing is wonderful this is just i mean this is good dialogue yeah. written by deborah hill between the girls but everyone knows this scene you're standing right here poor Lori. you scared another one away uh, in the script and the novelization Lori says cute but mm. that's not in the movie the only line that feels a little wonky to me or, or maybe just because i know the rest of the movie already is that you have so much money saved up from babysitting it feels like a setup for something right like they're loading Chekhov's gun and at some point in the movie her, you know, vast sums of babysitting fortunes are going to come into play somewhere. <laughs> or this is the last time she'll ever babysit, so it's a good thing she's got a fortune. Mm. Yeah, it's tragic. You never go out. You must have a small fortune stashed from babysitting so much. And in the novel, Annie actually also says, what's your story? Are you scared? I'll show you how to relax. You prefer girls? I'll try anything once. Ah, oh, jeez. And as I understand it, the novelization came from an earlier draft of the script so that may have actually been in the script yeah novelizations usually they usually come from early drafts of scripts um even though this novel came out a year later mm -hmm. it seems to have stuff that was cut not stuff that was added yeah um i know galaxy quest's novelization had bits and pieces that came out of that didn't make the final cut of the movie even though galaxy quest script wound up being very mostly unchanged but the little bits and bits and bobs there i would recognize because i've been up and down the screenplay countless times it's funny when did galaxy quest come out that was late 90s right? christmas 99 i don't think of movie novelizations i know they still exist but you don't see them as much because there's not as many bookstores but it's interesting that galaxy quest got one yeah that's true and and i feel like people just go to the movie yeah the last movies i remember looking at the novelization in a somewhat current fashion, I think we're like Mars Attacks and Batman Forever. Huh. For whatever reason, those two stick in my head. I don't know if I picked up a novelization after that, other than obviously GQ and Prep. Uh, side note regarding novelizations, though. I was in a used bookstore last week and found a novelization of John Carpenter's previous movie, Dark Star. Oh. Which I didn't even know existed. Hmm. So I got that for $1.50. Huh. Buckfitty. Which is cool. Can't find a novelization of Halloween that cheap, but Dark Star. Well, no, because there's actual demand for those. Right. I had to find it online. Back to the minute, second 42. There are two men visible over the hedge watching from the porch behind. <laughs> I don't know if they were crew members or the people who live there, but they're watching them film. Yep. I would hope if they were crew members they might go maybe we should not be in the shot well they are behind the hedge but yeah you yeah. can see their heads pop up so yeah. on the porch next door and then we have yet another imdb goof which one is this oh this one's dumb <laughs> never mind no we don't folks this is about Lori's talking when he said she says guys think i'm too smart and he was standing right there we're clearly dubbed in during post-production because in the former yeah actress jamie lee curtis's lips barely move and in the latter they don't move at all hmm. which is wrong looking at it minute by minute and slowing things down the mouth moves i had to look at the scene a few times because yeah her mouth doesn't move much but 
Yeah. Like you like you said, she had a tendency to kind of talk with her mouth barely open. So Yeah, I talked before in minute one and minute 12 about her teeth mm-hmm. is the reason. They were crooked and they were gray. Mm. So she learned to smile without showing her teeth and would talk without moving her mouth much. But if you slow these shots down, she is definitely moving. She's definitely talking. Mm-hmm. Maybe it didn't pick up on the microphone, Maybe. but she's talking. Yeah. Now, since there isn't much in this minute, despite being, you know, the, the hedge scene, it's time for guest questions. Now, listeners know what this is because they would have heard guest minutes. You haven't yet. I haven't yet. So, uh, question one is always the same. Number one, have you ever murdered anyone or do you plan to, for the record? Define anyone. It's <laughs> a new answer. Like, are we limiting this to humans or? Yes. Oh, uh, then no. No, I'm good. Okay, just animals. Got it. Or aliens. Yeah, well, sometimes you gotta defend the gotta defend the fort. Uh, number two, because I'm interrupting this minute with IMDb goofs, I thought I'd ask: Do mistakes pull you out of a movie? <sighs> Rarely. the The th- only thing that pulls me out of a movie is if it's a a topic that I know a lot about and they're clearly doing it wrong. Uh, Okay. Like uh, uh, sports movies where they like bend the rules of the sport solely for the purposes of dramatic tension. <laughs> like, but like goofs don't really pull me out of it per se. I can't think of too many that I've even seen that I even catch on my own. Are there any in Galaxy Quest? No, honestly, nothing even really comes to mind. I don't remember us going through and looking for like IMDb goofs or anything like that. Actually, I know one from Galaxy Quest. Oh, no, wait, that's right. We, uh, we I do know one, but go ahead. I would say the scraping of the ship when they pull it out of the dock. Oh, yeah, that's right. We did point that it one out. It scrapes the front, even though the wing clearly sticks out front. Yeah. Yeah. The Okay, yeah, that one comes to mind. That was... <laughs> I, I, the only reason why that one's not fresh in my mind is because that was recorded sometime in... That was a while ago. That was recorded yeah. like nine, ten months ago. <laughs> um, but the one that comes to mind that's from very near the end of the movie, and I didn't even notice it, our guest noticed it, is when they're doing the that kind of... the the intro to the new tv show yeah. and they say jason esmith as commander peter quincy taggart taggart is spelled wrong huh um they spell taggart with uh i believe it's t-a-g-g-e-r-t and in the entire rest of the movie it's t-a-g-g-a-r-t but i did not notice it until the guest pointed out is his name on the screen yes earlier? Yeah, yes his name is on the screen in several places his name is on the screen in several places as uh Two A's, huh. and only that one place he's got an E in it. But you can tell how big a you can tell how big of a deal that was because didn't I didn't notice even it. notice it until the guest <laughs> pointed it out. Right, exactly. Well, a lot of these I don't notice them, but since I'm going in by for detail, minute by minute, I'm I copied and pasted all of them. Of course, and then I'm just going at them one at a time when they come up. <laughs> Most of them are wrong, mm-hmm. yeah, or stupid, or both. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this was this was such a low budget production that yeah. a lot of times, it, you know, we've got enough time and enough money to do two takes of this. So if someone's right. shirt is in the shot, tough shit. Oh, you'll love the next one. Then. You know. Woo. Second 43. And he says, I don't. I think you're wacko. Now you're seeing men behind bushes. And then we get a goof. It's really wordy in, on IMDb. So I'll, minim- I'll shorten it. Basically, they're complaining about this angle of the sun changing from shot to shot. Hmm. In my notes, I wrote, headline, low-budget film cannot completely manipulate sunlight. Yeah, that's true. It's like, I have no problem with this one. <laughs> like, yes, it's a goof, but they had a low budget. They were filming quickly. Oh, yeah. They're not going to control that all the way. Yeah. 
The only interesting thing I have to say at all about cinema lighting is yeah. that in, at least in the first Toy Story, oh, yeah. because obviously they do have the ability to control lighting, they made sure <laughs> it was magic hour at all times. Huh. At the very least when they're outside, whether it's morning, noon, night, it's always magic hour, which for any of those, yeah, any of those out there who don't know, magic hour is a period of time in both the, uh, sun up and then sun down where the light is golden and beautiful and cinematographers love to use it yeah but it's a very short window of time obviously because it's a very narrow band within a sunrise or a sunset and so a lot of live action movies don't do it they'll just skip from its daytime to its nighttime because Mm -hmm. yeah if they mess up that shot at sunset they can't use it of course yeah they can't repeat it Mm -hmm. this movie does later have a sunset scene specifically filmed at sunset to cover that difference but we'll get to that when we get to that. Mm-hmm. Which is not here. I think it's in minute 32 or 33. Mm. The two girls slow in front of Annie's house. Uh, for those of you who like stalking the real locations, her house is 1017 Montrose in South Pasadena. Huh. Although she never goes inside, and I don't know if they had permission to use the house, so don't bother the people. Don't bother the people anyway, even if they did have permission. Well, the, the people at the Strode house are known for being nice. Uh, but yeah, these houses, they didn't use the interiors. So so don't bother the people unless, they've, unless they're cool. Yeah. I went to the houses in Hollywood that they're in later while they're babysitting, and I so wanted to like knock on doors and talk to people. And I'm like, I can't do that. Everyone's been doing that for 40 years. It's too late. Yeah. <laughs> what do you have to say that's so interesting? I want to have them as guests uh. and see how annoying it is to have everyone knocking on their door yeah. and asking them about the movie. That actually might be an interesting, especially if they're not someone who's lived there forever. You know, if you just moved to, yeah, for the sake of example, the Strode house in 2010 and you're like, oh crap, people come by every day wearing the stupid mask, uh-huh. playing that damn song on their phones. I'm just trying <laughs> to go to work. The house they used for the interior of the Wallace's house later was for sale last year. So mm. I believe people just moved in. And I'm wondering if they like are told ahead of time, by the way, this is the Halloween filming location. Yeah, and I, I, I suspect if you live in California in that kind of area, you're probably doing that sort of research if you know what you're doing. You're just like, let me just make yeah. sure there isn't like either some Hollywood murders that went down here or, <laughs> or real murders. a movie that nerds are going to come by and take a look at. Yeah. And then listeners will know this exchange when she says, see you later, bye, bye, because that's how every episode of this podcast ends, is from this minute. Nice. And Annie walks up to her door. For a moment, Lori looks around cautiously before starting down the sidewalk again, camera tracking with her, according to the script. And the minute ends. It's not surprising that the script has the camera moves laid out in that kind of detail, given that John Carpenter was one of the writers on it. I know I've seen some scripts where they don't yeah. detail or you know they're clearly coming at it more from an acting perspective or something like that but this is cl- you know this is clearly written in part by a cinematographer yeah who is used to doing like student films and mm-hmm. two features now well one and a half features and a tv movie yeah so he's used to having to decide all that stuff ahead of time mm-hmm. within the script what's funny is a lot of them in this script don't end up happening because they ended up having the panaglide which meant there were fewer cuts and more long takes mm. and so a lot of those went away because of the new camera, mm-hmm. which I think this movie was the fifth movie to use or something like that. Any other notes on minute 25? Um, nothing on the minute per se. I've got okay. notes on the movie in general, but I mean, we can always get to those. We can put them in here. 
<laughs> so here's, a, I guess, a question for you then. How do you think this movie would be different if you made it today? Not in the way that Rob Zombie did, where he like reinterpreted the whole thing, but yeah. just uh, if you just handed someone the same screenplay and l- said, so "All right, so let's just just 2018 it." I th- I think you'd get a lot more dialogue. First of all, mm. you get good moments with the three girls, but you'd get a lot more of that, which I think the new movie coming out in October might have with the younger characters. Mm. It's a similar idea because. Horror films want you to get to know the characters a lot more, and people are, get bored with silence. And so I think they'd add more dialogue and let them talk more, and they'd be... Laurie probably still the boring, bookish girl, but mm-hmm. Annie and Linda might be more out, even more outgoing mm-hmm. and into pop culture and stuff like that. It's That's weird that you say that, because I feel like the dialogue that's in this, I already... I understand Annie... And, and the other characters at least enough well, I think to so be too. like, oh, I know who these people are. You know, I get them. I think so too, but I think yeah. Hollywood or like mm-hmm. producers wouldn't trust it as much now. Yeah. If this didn't already exist and we are making it now, I don't think they'd trust the audience to keep up because there's too many, too much quiet. I think it would be amazing if someone did trust it. Yeah, I think it really would depend on it would really depend on what studio got hold of it. Because oh, yeah. I could foresee a studio saying, Well, no, we need to like show the gore and the kills, even you know, and this movie is like almost bloodless. But then I could also see a a studio saying, like, oh no, we totally get that it's like ambient and, and everything. I'm like, Yeah, do your thing. Like, yeah, just have these long these long one takers. Yeah, the long I love the long takes. You'd also have more wind. Mm. It's weird, but the script has a lot of references to gusts of wind, Mm -hmm. and then the movie literally only has the wind blowing, I think, twice, because they just were filming and the wind happened to blow. Mm -hmm. But in the script, it's like something they wanted. There was also one thing that jumped out to me here, uh, just because I was taking in their 70s fashion. It was not only the the dowdiness, if you will, of... uh, the right honorable lady Hayden guests outfit, <laughs> but in a more modern movie, because I know this is a trope that they've done a few times. If they started her with this kind of outfit, it would have been shed as the film goes on, revealing that she actually has like an in shape and attractive physique. She actually has Jamie Lee Curtis's body. I mean, the a couple examples come to mind immediately, uh, like Anya Taylor Joy in Split, yeah. who is like the dowdy recluse loner girl, and a male example, obviously Frank Kranz in Cabin in the Woods comes to mind. Yeah, I mean they had to tell him not to take his shirt off during the. Yeah, they had to hide it because he's really fit. Yeah, because they're because <laughs> they're like you're gonna you're gonna make Thor look bad. <laughs> it's we, we we can't have your shirt coming off. It's actually interesting that you say that because I mean she doesn't get down to like the revealing outfit you might expect if the movie was made now but yeah. she does take off layers as the movie goes mm-hmm. she starts in like the skirt the shirt the sweater and then later is pants and a blouse mm-hmm. with she has a jacket with her but she never wears it yeah and then by the end of the movie the blouse is a bit unbuttoned you know everything's a little more loose mm-hmm. so she is slowly revealing more but not like that no not like it would be now yeah it's not not to it's weird that we think of this as being such a uh, a trailblazer in the the slasher genre when it's like so many of the slasher tropes yeah don't actually apply here like she didn't get stripped down to her underwear or no. something you know or or no they come after yeah and um and again the 
the Friday the Thirteenth yeah. copied this, and that's where all those things started becoming tropes. Yeah, that they really started with Friday and and Nightmare. But yeah, I think that's always it's yeah that, that I always like having that discussion whenever you take a look at these movies that are not contemporary pieces, which. Disturbingly enough, Galaxy Quest was no longer a contemporary piece either, and we, I know we had no, a it's almost twenty years now. Good long discussion with several guests about that, about all the things that would be different. It's like when I was recording the conversation with my sisters for minutes one and two, when I realized that the new movie, like it's the fortieth anniversary. Yes, the first one's forty years ago. That's a long time, but I realized this H twenty is twenty years ago, which also feels like a long time. That that just hurt my brain a little. And it hadn't occurred to me that the math is obvious. But yeah. Halloween H20 was 20 years ago. I believe today or yesterday was its release date in 98. I mean, for that matter, the Rob Zombie Halloween is 11 years old. Yeah. Stupid time stopped passing. (laughs) It just keeps doing it, though. Yeah, I know. Now that is all for Minute 25. Uh... So, Alex, thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell the listeners how they can stalk you, like, later today. Where will you be? Well, uh, let's see, listeners. You might know me best as the human ball of need who beat his Alan Rickman impression into the ground on Galaxy Quest Minute. <laughs> uh, that podcast has, at the very least, wrapped up its first season. We finished the movie. It's all out there for you to binge watch. Binge watch, really? Binge listen to. Binge. Binge. Yeah, binge. Just binge it. Sweet Jesus, I hope I get the feed fixed. Um, assuming I can iron out technical difficulties, Cleveland in 6, going deep into Major League, should be around for you to download, and that is a wild and raucous ride. Um, and The movie Major League. Yes, the movie Major League. Make sure you specify that. Yeah. Uh, and then I will also throw out a plug, because uh, I th- we may have a feed set up by now, uh, by the time this episode airs. Uh, Independence Day Minute is coming down the pipeline soon. So I will I will just say that so you can stick it in the back of your brain and check your podcatcher to see if we got a feed up this early. Yes. Uh, th- that's all I got to plug. Okay. Michael Myersman is a production of Lemming Drops Studio. Find more content at lemmingdrops.com. You can stalk us on Twitter and Facebook at Myers Minute or Instagram, Michael Myers Minute, or join the Facebook listeners group, 45 Lampkin Lane. Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a nice review if you like what you hear. Till next time. See you.